why do I keep doing that? I just feel that something is missing. These are the internal thoughts that point us back toward ourselves. We intuitively want healing and wholeness, but it seems elusive, doesn't it? We have an idea of the best version of us, but it just keeps slipping our grasp. Abraham Maslow said, if you plan on being anything less than you are capable of being, you will probably be unhappy all the days of your life. Welcome to the Vanessa Landino podcast. I'm your host, Vanessa Landino. Today, we're going to take a slightly different path on our journey of mental health. Why? Well, the field of psychology has changed drastically in the last 50 years. We went from a slow, deep process of self-reflection, self-understanding. There was insight involved. Eventually, we became self-empowered through an internal resolution of our issues. And that was called psychoanalysis. And now we have processes like solution-focused therapy and brief therapy. And these are not bad advancements. But this shift in process away from self-knowledge and gradual healing to solutions and a fix-it mentality has, ironically, stigmatized people who seek therapy. Because solutions means there is something wrong, and brief means it shouldn't take that long. But what if there's nothing wrong with you? What if the patterns in your life, even the unhealthy ones, are serving a purpose, and it's just simply the best you can do right now? What if the following statement is true? To feel better, you need better information and better habits. And by better, I just mean healthier. Now, I don't know about you, but a lot of the patterns I found myself in in adulthood were either, number one, modeled for me by my parents, who themselves had healthy and unhealthy patterns and didn't know any better about the unhealthy ones or else they would have done better, or two, coping mechanisms for pain. Unhealthy behaviors, their thoughts, the beliefs, the patterns, they come from somewhere. What if I told you that the process of therapy and becoming more mentally and emotionally healthy was less about fixing you and more about you learning how to connect the dots in your life? Dots like, oh, I do this thing as an adult because when I was a kid, I used to do that thing and it kept me safe. Those things are connected. This is just a leftover childhood coping mechanism. Or we might go, oh, I get why I feel so depressed. This is starting to make sense to me. I have this belief about myself and it is so negative and I know where it comes from. There was this behavioral pattern in my family growing up and it delivered this message to me and I never saw it until now and that belief is not true. What if connecting the dots gave you that kind of power over your state of mind? So today, instead of talking about mental health issues like they're diagnosed sentences of disease, and they're not, <laughs> or like they're little problems that just need brief processes and fixer-uppers, and they're not, we're going to lay some groundwork in two areas we must familiarize ourselves with to actually move the needle on our mental health from surviving to thriving. And those two areas are, one, we need to grasp and recognize and own the conditions necessary for human beings to thrive mentally and emotionally. We need to own that we have needs and we need to own what they are first. Second, we need an ongoing and deepening knowledge of ourselves, our stories, and how our needs went met or unmet. Now that first bit of knowledge, I hope, is going to give us some reference points because we blame ourselves. And instead of blaming ourselves for what we perceive to be our weakness 
And instead of shaming ourselves for not thriving, we've got to accept what human beings need to thrive. Friends, humans are animals. You're an animal. (laughs) I am too. We're animals. And those of you with uh, cats know that cats need a lot of sleep. They need food. They need water. They need mental stimulation. They don't need too much exercise. (laughs) They need some, but they sleep a lot. And they need affection, depending on the cat. And, you know, disclaimer, I'm not a cat person, so all of you cat lovers out there could school me in this. But we know that certain types of plants, for example, need more sun, less sun, more water, less water. Some dogs are lazy lovers, and some need constant exercise and work. Horses, thoroughbred racehorses, are more competitive and high-spirited than Clydesdales. These are facts. But then we seek therapy, and maybe we have stories in our lives of abuse or neglect. Or maybe we came from loving homes, but the home wasn't emotionally deep. And we're beating ourselves up for our difficulties. Friends, this is like beating a racehorse in the legs and then wondering why it won't run. This is like neglecting a dog's need for affection and then wondering why he's mopey. So we've got to start connecting the dots. Let's consider the conditions that humans need, we, we humans, that we need, generally speaking and specific to our personalities. Let's look at what we needed for optimal functioning and what we need now, and then we can compare what we needed with what we experienced. And we can grow in the greatest knowledge any of us can possess, which is self-knowledge, not self-loathing, not self-judgment, not self-shame, self-knowledge. And before we understand ourselves, we need to understand human beings just a little bit more. All right, let's dive in. We're going to start with the conditions necessary for a vitalized human being, very generally speaking. Okay, and I'm going to work from Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Now, those of you who have taken psychology classes have heard this before. You've studied Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And if you haven't, let me give you a little bit of a breakdown. Okay, it's an old model, but it's still really good and it's still used quite a bit today. Abraham Maslow was a psychologist during the mid 20th century. And one of his trademark concepts, aside from the hierarchy of needs, was seeing the positive qualities in the people he treated instead of framing them as clusters of symptoms. Okay, that was Maslow's trademark. He looked for the positive qualities that were working in people's lives, and he pioneered what we now call humanistic psychology. And humanistic psychology emphasizes that people have the innate ability. That means it's inborn, it's untaught, it's inherent. They have the innate ability to heal and become their best selves. In humanistic psychology, the therapist's job is to first get themselves out of the client's way and second, help them remove the obstacles placed in their way. And those obstacles could have come from adverse childhood experiences or they could just come from ineffective patterns established in adulthood based on insufficient or wrong information. Okay, but whatever the obstacles were, the job of therapy is to identify them, work toward removing them. Now, one of the criticisms of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and we're going to really break this down today, uh, is that it's overly American. It's too Western. It can't bridge cultures. Now, au contraire, mon frere. A study was published in 2011 in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology that was conducted over five years, 2005 to 2010. This is such an interesting study. And it showed that Maslow's hierarchy held across languages, cultures, and societies. Now listen to this. 60,865 participants participated in this study in 123 countries the world over. 
And what the researchers discovered is that this hierarchy held true. Humans' needs are, in fact, universal. Now, what is not universal is the order in which they're prioritized. That's actually more of a matter of culture, family, even the socioeconomic situation of the family, the person, the culture. But the needs are the same. So I'm going to dig into these needs first. And then we're going to talk about a process of self-awareness in which we address which needs were met, which needs were not met, how we coped then, how we cope now, and how to get those needs met in a healthy way. Okay, so the bottom layer of the hierarchy, and if you're listening to this in front of a computer, just Google Maslow's hierarchy of needs and you're going to see the pyramid come up. Okay, the bottom layer of the hierarchy of needs are physiological needs. And these are the needs that are connected to our physical bodies and its various functions. So these are breathing, you know, the need for air, (laughs) food, water, sex. Now, some people agree and disagree on whether or not this is a human need. Uh, If you're listening to this, feel free to form your own opinion. Uh, Sleep, homeostasis, excretion. Now, some of these are quite obvious, right? Food, water, sleep, excretion. We need these to function as human beings. The need for sex, like I said, it's debated. It's certainly pleasurable. But is it necessary for a human being to live optimally? Some would say yes. Some would say no. We could debate that. It's certainly necessary for human life to proliferate, but it's not probably necessary for individual human survival. But Maslow wasn't just concerned about survival. He was concerned about what are the needs that have to be met for a human being to live optimally. So I'm going to let you make up your own mind about sex. Homeostasis is the need we have for our physical condition to stay relatively the same. Okay, homeostasis just means it's steady. It's the need we have for steadiness physiologically. So these are the basic physiological needs. We start here. The next layer is our need for safety. Now, Maslow highlighted several sub-needs in this layer, the need for safety. Personal security, employment, resources, health, and property. So a word that comes to mind here for this layer of needs is ownership. Humans have an innate need to have ownership over their welfare and the components of their welfare. Now, this does indeed contribute to and establish our sense of safety in the world when we have ownership over the components that keep us safe. So let's break these down a little bit. Personal security is the need to be safe from physical harm personal harm. Could be a personal attack, a personal threat. We need a sense of power that we can protect ourselves and our security if and when it is threatened. So the greater the existing threat, the more a human, in order to meet their needs, is going to seek out and desire a means by which they can protect themselves. Makes sense, right? Employment. We need the ability and the opportunity to exchange or trade our time and energy for wages that are commensurate with our skills and abilities. Okay, that is, by the way, what having a job means. It means that you or I, we trade our time, our energy, our skill, and our ability for wages commensurate with those skills and abilities. This is a basic human need. Human beings need to work. Now, I know some of us hate this, You hate what I'm saying right now, but I am the messenger. Humans need work. This contributes to our sense of personal empowerment, and we need a sense that we can control our lives through our efforts. This contributes to our need for safety. The opposite of employment would not be unemployment, but dependency. Why? 
because we need to eat and we need to have shelter and we need clothes and we need the bare necessities of life down there in the physiological layer of needs. Okay. And if we cannot work, those needs have to be met. If we're going to live, they have to be met, but they will now be met by others. So the opposite of employment is not unemployment, it's dependency. And dependency has very negative side effects on our sense of personal strength, self-esteem, self-respect, self-confidence, and yes, our safety. Why? Because if the person or the entity or the body who is supplying our needs somehow stops, we are up the proverbial creek, are we not? So yes, work is a very basic and important human need. When we need to support ourselves, we become resourceful. So now let's explore that need. Resources. Human beings need options to further meet their needs. We need pathways of getting what we want, getting what we need. And what does that do for us? Well, it draws upon our creativity and it gives us mental challenges. We have to find and then figure out how to utilize the resources available to us when we need them. Resources are a need. Health. Health is basically an outcome of the first layer of needs. Humans need to be in physical health in order to live optimally. Now, I want to be very, very careful here. That does not mean that if we have a disease, if we have health conditions or health challenges, that we can't function optimally in other ways. In fact, and we all know people like this, and we've walked through this ourselves. I have walked through this with friends Sometimes health challenges bring out the absolute best in people, but it is safe to say that all humans would prefer to be healthy. So it's a need. Everyone shares it. Property. Again, we circle back to that idea of ownership. Humans need a sense of power over their own world. We're wired for it. It's part of our nature. Property connects us to our world in an empowered, self-directing kind of way. Now, let's take into account that some in religious circles, especially more strict practices of the faith, they might argue that property is actually a distraction and that all resources should be shared. Now, this would work beautifully, but typically it does not work, right? Innate human selfishness is present in us. And so we do desire property. But what Maslow said is not only do you desire it, you need it, even if it's ownership over your own body. In order to feel safe, it contributes to the need to be safe. The next layer in the hierarchy is the need for love and belonging. All of my Enneagram type twos out there. This is the third layer, love and belonging. So Maslow highlighted four things. Friendship, intimacy, family, and a sense of connection. The word that comes to mind here is community. We have to face it. Humans are the most social of all the animals on the planet. Let's think about that. Think about how complex our social systems are. Social hierarchies. Think about the amount of customs and etiquette and manners and the ways that we interact with one another across cultures, across eras, across genders, across situations and scenarios. I mean, All of these variations on the theme of community are intricate. They are as intricate as the universe. We are social, and so we need connection. Now let's break these down a little bit. Friendship. Do I have to say too much about this? No, I don't. I can't say the word friendship without smiling when I think about how sweet my friends are. This is a precious relationship, isn't it? And you think of your closest friend, and a smile crosses your face, and it's that person with whom you feel a sense of safety, fondness. Their support is unfailing. They are the laugh until you cry and cry until you laugh people. 
Okay, so fun isn't hard. It comes naturally. They've got your back. You've got theirs. And the relationship usually communicates the message that says, you are lovable just the way you are. It's a very unconditional relationship. Okay, so that's friendship. Intimacy, this is a big one. This is the experience of being known and seen and accepted and loved for who we really are. And it is a need. It is not a luxury. It is not nice to have. It is need to have. Intimacy communicates that we are not alone. It communicates that the deepest, quietest, most sacred, most vulnerable parts of us are safe in another person's hands, safe in another person's heart. Family. This need may be met through our biological family, but it doesn't have to be. Could be an adopted family, chosen family, work family, church family, a friend's family. The need for family is met by the group whose presence and support can be counted on consistently. Now, ideally, yeah, this would be our biological family, but many of us don't have blood family that meets this need. So we build family. And family comes through hardship, could be through journeying through a challenging time with another person or group of people, could come from common values, shared life experiences. Family is like the 2 a.m. phone call, right? Family is where you belong, and we all need to belong to someone, to something. So that's family. And then the sense of connection. All of these, friendship, family, intimacy, they all comprise our sense of connection in the world. And the message that this layer of our needs communicates to us is you are not alone, and we need that. Now, the next layer in the hierarchy is the need for esteem. Maslow highlighted a few things. Respect, self-esteem, status, recognition, strength, and freedom. I'm going to say a few words about each thing. So let's break these down. Respect. Respect communicates that you are worthy. Being treated with respect means being viewed and treated as though you have value. Side note, because you do. Hear me. You do. You deserve respect. Okay. Back to my notes. (laughs) It means that you're treasured. It means that you're cherished. To be respected is to feel like an important part of a whole. And now to be disrespected is to convey the exact opposite. You're not valued. You don't matter. Your presence is not treasured. It's not needed. It's not cherished. Okay, self-esteem. Another big one. I love this phrase. This comes from Dr. Brian Hooper, a colleague and dear, 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 dear friend here in Nashville. Self-esteem is the reputation we build with ourselves. Isn't that great? I thank Brian for that. Self-esteem is holding ourselves in a place of respect It's holding ourselves with appropriate and healthy honor. It's upholding our own dignity and taking ourselves seriously. You know, for a long time, I have a self-deprecating sense of humor and I don't mind it. I think it's, you know, funny most of the time. But for a period of time there, I was too hard on myself. I was making fun of myself too much. And it probably just came from being in a family where I was mocked a lot. My family could be emotionally brutal in the way that they joked, and I got my feelings hurt a lot because the family was very brutal and they didn't stop when feelings were hurt. So I developed this really self-deprecating sense of humor, and it was sort of like, you know what, I'm going to cut myself down before you do. And I had a friend, and I still do, and Carrie, if you're listening to this, I love you for this, but she used to say to me, whenever I would be self-deprecating or I'd be too hard on myself, she'd say, hey, don't talk to my friend that way. Isn't that lovely? She always had my back, even when it was me that was doing the striking. So 
self-esteem, the reputation you build with yourself. Self-esteem develops when we're treated with respect. It's what develops from the knowledge of our rights in a relationship. We have the right to be treated with dignity, with honor, with kindness, with fairness, with goodness. And when people don't treat us that way, that infraction must be acknowledged. Why? Go back and listen to the power of personal accountability if you don't understand why wrongs have to be acknowledged. Accountability conveys esteem to another person. Status. This is our standing in our community. And we don't need to confuse a healthy need for status with the need to be popular or the need to climb the ranks of the social scene and be seen in the society pages. That's not status. P.S. That's mostly ego. But for status, if we want this need to be met, our need for status is met when we feel that what we contribute is known and acknowledged. That's it. That's what we need for our need for status to be met. When we feel that what we contribute is known, it's acknowledged, we need to feel a sense that we're important, relevant to others, not more important than others, but simply important for who we are. I'm going to say a little bit on this, a little word. If our status is connected to our false self, what do you mean? I mean this. If who we are known to be is not who we really are, our needs on this layer will not be met. Our need for status will certainly not be met because the need is only met if our authentic self receives status, recognition, and respect. Okay, so that goes back to the importance of authenticity. If the false self is who's receiving the praise and the status, the need won't be met and we will feel the deficit. Recognition. This meets our need to be seen and acknowledged for what and who we are. Okay, so again, we're going to see that a lot of these needs are similar. There are nuanced differences, but recognition has to do with our need to be appreciated for who we are, what we give, and it has to be seen. Recognition sort of serves as the counterweight between our efforts and other people's needs. What we give, what we do is seen, commented on, known. Okay, strength. This is our need to feel our own power in the world. It's so normal. It's so human. We're all born with different gifts. Some of us are athletes, some of us are more artistic, some of us are more cerebral, analytical, but we're all gifted. Strength is the exercise of our gifts. We need to flex our muscles, whether that's physically, intellectually, artistically, athletically, emotionally, whatever it is. The strength that we have is the motor of our personal power, and we need to develop it. Now, how do we develop it? We develop strength by testing ourselves against obstacles. And the metaphor here is super easy, very obvious. People who lift heavier and heavier and heavier weight get what? Stronger. So the more we take on, the more we take on and master, the stronger we become. That pursuit could absolutely be physical weight. You want to pump iron, pump iron. It could be reading. It could be our career. It could be cooking. But the more we take on, the more challenge we take on, you know, we go from boiling water to making a souffle, the stronger we become. And we notice strengths in increments, inches, step by step. Freedom. This need is reflective of our true nature, our true state. Humans have an innate sense that we are born free. And we find belonging in families and groups. But that doesn't mean we are owned. It means we belong, and there's a difference. 
Individually, inherently, we are free beings, and we will seek out freedom when it is withheld. Physical freedom is the ability to go where we desire, and it's according to our choice and our will. Okay, we move about the world as we want. That's physical freedom. Financial freedom is the ability to earn, spend, save, invest, donate, whatever we want to do. Financial freedom is the ability to do that, again, according to choice and will. Emotional freedom. Oh, this is a big one. This is the ability to feel, express, and allow emotion. The opposite would be emotional suppression, which is oppressive, right? Sexual freedom, the ability to be sexually attracted, to connect consensually, again, according to choice and will. Intellectual freedom is the freedom to formulate and think our thoughts as we choose without threat of harm, without threat of suppression. And we can go on, friends. There's religious freedom, freedom of speech, spiritual freedom, artistic freedom, creative freedom, so on. Okay, the point is humans are inherently born free and we need to feel free. Now, the last category of the needs is called the need for self-actualization. And Maslow described this as a desire to become the most that one can be. This is, think about it, this is the healthiest version of yourself physically, emotionally, intellectually, mentally, sexually, spiritually, professionally, financially. We could go on. This is taking your gifts the farthest they will go. This is the highest and the most good you can do. This is the fullest expression of all you are in the world. So this begs the question, what's stopping us? What's stopping us from moving forward with self-actualization being all that we can be? What keeps us from meeting our own needs, even from knowing what they are? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to travel through these needs again, but this time I'm going to describe what these needs look like in childhood. And I want to take a moment and I'm going to stop for a minute and I'm going to say this. These are not desires. They are not fantasy experiences. These are not the ideal. These are human needs. I'm screaming at you with love through the microphone. These are your needs. They're not desires. Am I going crazy? Are you going crazy with me repeating myself? They're not desires. They're needs. Why am I emphasizing this? Because we need them. We needed them. They're universal across time, cultures, genders, governments, creeds, religions, all walks of life. They're not optional. They're not for some people. They are for all people. I love you. I want you to hear this because it's so important. And it's going to become crystal clear why this is important when we start talking about the coping mechanisms that we develop when these needs are not met. Because it's so important that they are met, that when they're not met, We figure out ways of alleviating the pain. Now, let's go back. Let's walk through this in childhood. Okay? A little bit about each one. Childhood. Physiological needs. Bottom layer. For breathing and air. This means that as a child, we had fresh air, sunshine. We were allowed to go outside. We played outside. We got fresh air. Food. This means that our nutritional needs were met. We were given wholesome, healthy food. We weren't fed too much sugar. We were set on a path toward healthy, life-giving relationships with food. Water means basic. We had clean water. And we were given water, and we were taught to drink plenty of water to hydrate ourselves. And it means we weren't fed sugary drinks or soda. 
when our bodies actually needed hydration from pure natural water. And is there anything wrong with juices and sugary drinks and soda every once in a while? No, of course not. But some of us grew up on Coke. We have a need for water. See how basic this is? And I know this sounds crazy, but I could actually trace dysfunction. Literally, I can trace dysfunction in an adult life back to physiological needs not being met in childhood, even in a first world country. That's how important these needs are. Sex. This is a big one for children. And what do I mean? It means this. It means as a kid, you were taught about your natural, healthy sexuality from an early age. Curiosity about your body was normalized. Pleasure was normalized. Maybe it was even encouraged. Now, boundaries need to be strong and clear. And I know some of you listening just got uncomfortable when I said pleasure was encouraged. Should we have them ignore the pleasure of their own bodies until they can share it with someone else? Look, children touching themselves pleasurably is the most natural act in the world. There are images of children in the womb touching themselves. Okay? Adults steer them away from their own bodies with shame and with disapproval. And this sets a course for a sexual relationship with the self that is fraught with shame and awkwardness. Children from birth through adolescence, yes, they need boundaries around sex and sexuality for sure. But to shame a child for a natural inclination is to disconnect the child from their own body. So what does that mean? It means the child, instead of having a wholesome relationship with their body in an honest way, where we're taught the parts of our anatomy, we're taught correct names, we are encouraged to accept and welcome and care for every part of our body with love, with no shame, with neutrality. If we were not given this, shame fills in the gap. So yes, the need for healthy sexuality exists starting from day one. Sleep. This means we were given boundaries around rest. It means we had a bedtime We weren't just left to ourselves in our rooms with television, video games, or a phone for those of us who are younger. It means we had a bedtime. There was structure. It was enforced. It also means that we were able to sleep in peace. We didn't stay up worrying about things. We had a comfortable place to sleep. We felt safe in our beds. We weren't awakened by fighting or loud noises. Homeostasis. This means your parents or parent, protected your state of mind. It means they protected the peace in the home. It means you weren't exposed to dramatic and drastic changes in your environment. Kids who move a lot, you know, I was one of those kids. We had like eight or nine houses in 12 years, something like that. Kids who moved a lot as a result of dysfunction or even like a military upbringing, they have their own issues with homeostasis. It's hard to establish and it's sometimes hard to stay put when we've been moving around so much. But homeostasis for children means that our environments are stable, predictable. There's a routine. The opposite would be chaos. Excretion. Another big one. Why? Because what we're talking about in sexuality and excretion is areas of the human body that, for many reasons, I'm not going to go into today. There's not time. We have associated with shame. Excretion. This means that we were taught and allowed to have a relationship with our body that was wholesome and untainted by shame. We weren't taught that parts of us are gross that any of our natural processes were gross, but that the whole system works beautifully, that we're beautiful, 
Okay, so this is that bottom layer of needs through a lens of childhood. Now let's go to the need for safety, personal security. This means we were not physically touched in any way that was harmful, that hurt our physical bodies, that degraded or humiliated or disrespected our physical self. This also means that we were kept safe from other people who hurt us or might hurt us. So unsafe predatory people were not allowed in our home, in our family, in our world. We were taught, we were encouraged to have boundaries with siblings, with other adults, with peers who did not treat us with respect. And kids who have this need met, the need for personal security, they feel safe because the parent's presence in their life, the adult's presence in their life is encouraging and protecting their personal security. They have a voice. Employment. Well, this means that we had chores. It means we had responsibilities in our home. It means we were seen and treated like functional, competent members of a household. Now, the chores always have to be appropriate for our age and stage of development. Too much, nor too little, was placed on us. We were able to do what was required. We may not have liked it. I didn't like weeding. I hated weeding. I didn't mind ironing, but I hated weeding. When we needed correction in our tasks, it was given respectfully. It was given clearly. We weren't shamed. Now, we didn't live in fear of our parents' anger if we didn't perform because we were taught. We were instructed on how to do what it was that was expected of us. Children who grow up with too much responsibility pay the price. And here's the truth. Children who grow up with too little responsibility pay the price. Both will wind up anxious. Very common. Resources. This means that as kids, we were encouraged to be creative about problem solving. Again, it's age and stage appropriate. We all heard it. A great response for a kid is, I'm bored, mom, dad, I'm bored. Well, go find something to do. How about this, this, or that? And kids protest. We protested. All kids protest because they are used to being dependent. And becoming resourceful takes work. But the struggle must be felt and overcome. And this is what it means for a kid to develop resourcefulness, which is a need. Now, that's the need of resourcefulness. What are the needs of the resources? Well, it means that we had options available to us when we needed them. We had teachers, coaches. We had babysitters. We got medical attention when we needed. Now, some things, it's very useful for a child to struggle in an age and stage appropriate way without raising their anxiety sky high, but it's very appropriate for them to struggle to figure out little struggles, little challenges in their lives. It makes them use their resources. I'm bored, and then they discover a toy they'd forgotten about. I'm angry, and then they figure out that if they play with the dog for 15 minutes, they don't feel quite as angry anymore. Okay, children struggling through those very, very appropriate challenges develops their ability to seek out and utilize resources. And then there are challenges that children will never be able to seek out and utilize resources to solve because they're too little, right? So what we needed then were adults who were resources for us. We didn't languish in despair. We didn't wonder, how the heck am I going to get myself out of this? We had help. Children need resources. Health. This means our parents protected and supported our health through nutrition, exercise, and hopefully, ideally, they modeled that for us if they were able. 
It means we were forced, yes, forced, to go outside, get some fresh air, run, play, create games, splash in the rain, make mud pies, find bugs, critters, whatever, and be kids. Yes, this is what it means for a kid to have physical health, to be engaging the world, nature, their environment, the playground, whether it's a city kid or a country kid, whatever it is. It also means we had timely trips to doctor's offices. Some people never had that need met. Nobody taught them to brush their teeth. Nobody taught them to floss their teeth. Nobody taught them to take care of themselves with hygiene. So our physical health, if we had this need met, our physical health was on our parents' minds. It was directed. It was nurtured by them. They weren't hypochondriacs, okay? They didn't rush to anxiety or panic or they didn't bring us to doctors for every little sniffle or itch. Nor were they neglectful, allowing us to suffer when we needed care. Property. This means we had a fair balance between having and sharing, and we were taught both. We weren't taught to share everything all the time with no sense of our own things, nor were we spoiled by having every need provided and then not becoming aware of the needs of others. Here's the thing. Children need to be able to say, this is mine. Why? Because this forms the basis for sharing charity, empathy, and compassion. Think about this. We have to start with what is ours in order to give it. If we never have a sense of what is ours, there's no giving. We don't own anything. So children have to know this is mine, and that's what gives the virtue to sharing and the virtue to generosity. So we start with this is mine. Love and belonging. That's the next layer that Maslow gave us. Love and belonging. Friendship. In childhood, this means we were encouraged to have friends, and we were able to bring other kids into our homes. We had loving relationships with other kids, and that was encouraged by our parents. We were not bullied, and we were not allowed to be bullied. Why? Because we had relationships with adults who protected us from that. Bullying confuses us from knowing whether or not we're safe in the environments in which we're supposed to have friends. Now, every kid can face and survive a little bullying or the occasional mean girl, the mean boy. We can survive that. But when a child feels alone with no one their age to talk to and interact with and they're being bullied, it can be lonely to the point of depressing. Friends normalize children. And they learn through socializing how to play in new ways, and their minds are expanding. And we all have memories with friends going back to childhood, don't we? So children need friends who love them, and they need, we needed parents who encouraged that. Intimacy. In childhood, this means that we were free to express our emotions and thoughts in safety. Okay, it means that physical affection was given and received in a healthy way in the family unit. We were safe. We were safe to be tender sensitive. We were safe to be close emotionally with both parents. If you had one parent, with your parent. We were safe to be vulnerable, authentic. Intimacy is only born out of authenticity. So our home had to be a place where we could be our authentic selves, where we were seen, heard, loved, and appreciated simply for being us. Friends, I'm going to say that again because it's really important. Intimacy is only born out of authenticity. If we could not be our authentic self in our home, we didn't have intimacy. Family. In childhood, this meant that we had a consistent group of people around us who loved us, supported us, enjoyed us, provided for us, wanted us, and knew us. For a child, a family is the group of people who will risk their safety and comfort for the needs of the child. Now, some of us had families, but our needs... They went unmet. 
Some of us found families in our teams, in our casts if we were in plays or theatrical productions. Family is essential. For kids, this need is met when the people in their lives give them structure and warmth. Okay, so remember, family is where all the lessons we're going to live by for the rest of our lives, as far as relationships go, family is where they're learned. They're learned in those early, early years in the family. So we have to have a balance between structure and warmth. Structure is boundaries, consequences for actions, predictability, consistency, and warmth is affection, nurture, support, care, and love. The sense of connection, self-explanatory. As a child, this means that the adults, the other kids in, in our world, listen to us. We were part of a group. Our voice mattered. Do you ever realize that other children are better listeners than adults? Adults dismiss children all the time. Kids don't dismiss each other. Why? Because the empathy is built in. Kids speak one another's language. For a child's need for connection to be met and realized by adults, the adults need to hear them. Listen to them. Listening connects humans like no other relational skill. Now we have the next layer in the hierarchy, and this is the need for esteem. Respect. Maslow highlighted respect. Showing a child respect means treating them as if they matter. It means listening to them. It means taking them seriously when what they're talking about matters to them. It means treating their minds and their hearts like the burgeoning containers for wisdom that they truly are. If we were treated with respect, if this need was met in childhood, it meant that the rules for how we treat one another between parent and child were equal. Yes, I said equal. I'm going to say it again. They need to be equal. If we were respected as children, it means that we deserved and received equal amounts of kindness, attention, care, and honor as our parents. I am not saying that children and adults should have equal freedoms or equal authority. No, no, no. That's a problem. That will lead to dysfunction. But in a healthy family, the adults gently and responsibly hold the position of authority and they do not exploit children because they are young. And what do I mean by exploit? It means it is never okay to mistreat or disrespect a child simply because they are young. That is to disrespect the child. The child's need for respect is equal to the adults in terms of how they're treated. Self-esteem. Having this need met in childhood means we heard words of encouragement. We heard words of strength spoken to us, and we were given appropriate challenges to develop our belief in ourselves. So helicopter parenting stops this need from being met. Why? Because children have to struggle. They have to prove themselves to themselves. That's the development of self-esteem. Now, children who are abused or treated as if their pain is insignificant to the parent or the abuser will obviously not develop self-esteem. Why? Because they're treated as though they have no value. When you abuse a child, you are basically sending a message to the child that says you have no value, you have no worth, your pain is insignificant. Children who are neglected, abandoned, if that was true of us, either physically by parents who were continuously absent, it could have been through behaviors like work, or maybe they weren't present because of addiction, or maybe they were constantly socializing. They just weren't present. Okay, they don't develop self-esteem because the message or the neglect, the message is you don't matter. The message of the behavior on the part of parents is 
always internalized far more powerfully than the words the parents speak. Isn't that true? We learn more about who we are by how we're treated than what is said to us about us throughout childhood. So the need for self-esteem is met when children are treated as people who are esteemed. Okay, status. For a child, this meant that our place in our family was secure. It means that we were seen for who we are, that we had the sense that the family needed our presence. To meet our need for status, parents needed to see what was unique about us, what was special and what's essential about that child, and then reinforce the importance of that presence in the family system. In narcissistic family systems, this need is difficult to meet because the parents' egos will not allow the child to have a position that runs the possibility of surpassing the parents' importance. In healthy families, this need is actually met easily. Every child feels special, and they feel wanted, and they have a sense of what they contribute to the family system. Recognition. This need is met in childhood when parents and adults and even other children take the time to notice, not just when we accomplish or when we achieved things, but our hearts. It means that people noticed, mostly adults do this, and praised us when we were humble, when we were selfless, when we were generous, when we were honest, when it was difficult to be honest, when we were kind to other kids, to animals when we were respectful, creative, so on, it means we were seen, not just because of what we did, but because of who we were and are. Strength. This need is met in childhood when adults allow children to either be strong or become strong. Okay, let's break that down briefly. Being strong. This means that we were allowed to talk, to disagree, to think, to test our strength on our parents. That could have been in an early intellectual debate. It could be a physical test of strength, and that's very, very common with boys. Remember that scene in The Lion King when Simba wrestles Mufasa and Mufasa kind of lets him win? That's a perfect example of a young child, in this case, a little male cub, testing his strength against his father. That is part of how strength is allowed and the need is met. Now becoming strong, we go back to being allowed to try and fail. For kids to become strong, it means that they're able to stretch and expand themselves through challenges. And failure doesn't mean a travesty. It doesn't mean that the kid is a failure. It means that the kid has failed. That's different. So failures are viewed as moments of learning, strengthening all the time. If we were shamed when we failed, This tested our need to become strong. If we were put down, insulted, condescended to, overly corrected, stifled, shut up, shut down, when we gave our thoughts, our opinions, even though kids say absurd things, yes, they do, but it's because their brains aren't developed. (laughs) Their brains are not fully developed. It is not fair to condescend to or insult or patronize a being whose brain is not fully developed and yours is. So what we needed was to be gently, thoughtfully, rationally guided back to a smarter process of thought, right? Totally on board with that. Not everything children think needs to be validated as true. But the need for strength is encouraged and the need is met when parents take kids seriously, when they really engage them and they allow them to become strong. The child's need for freedom. This is the freedom to play, to be creative, to run wild to be a crazy hooligan. 
It's directly related to a child's sense of safety. Children are born free, and they know it. And toddlers prove this. They are mini-dictators, naturally. They command their world like mini-dictators. And it is the responsibility of parents to teach kids, and us kids when we were little, to dwell and to cooperate with others in community, which is the family first, right, and then the school and so on, without losing a sense of personal freedom. When a child is safe to be, wherever they are, to express, to play, to create, make messages, screw up, learn, without losing their parents' love and approval, the child will feel a sense of freedom in the world. We needed that. All kids need some restrictions, but if we had too many, too many rules, too much rigidity, too much responsibility, too much strictness, our need for freedom was not met. Finally, self-actualization. A child needs to be reflected. In adults, this means optimal functioning, being all that you can be. I know it sounds like an army commercial. Remember that old army commercial from the 80s? That's what it means for adults. But for kids, kids have mountaintop experiences. It could be acing a test, starring in a play, or getting up on stage for the first time if we're, you know, stage shy. It could be winning a little league game. It could be a lot of things. Kids have mountaintop experiences. The need for self-actualization is met when adults join in it with them and reflect that back to them. Great job. You did it. You went through so much to get here, but you did it. Okay? Now, those are the needs. We went through adulthood. We went through childhood. What do we do with all of this? We need to start connecting the dots. And what does that mean? It means this. First, start noticing what needs were met in childhood and what needs weren't. Get out a paper and a pen. Listen to this podcast. Take some notes. Whatever you need to do to hold this in your brain. But look at what needs in your childhood were met and not met. And when we identify the needs that were not met, the next question we ask ourselves is, how did I cope with this need going unmet? Remember, these are not desires. These are not luxuries. They're not fantasy experiences. They're not ideal. This is not an ideal childhood. These are human needs. We all have them. Now, wherever there's a deficit, meaning wherever the need was not met, there's a coping mechanism. Why? Because where there is a deficit, there's pain. Unmet needs create emotional pain. Now, what does a coping mechanism look like? Well, they could be different. In childhood, it could look like avoiding, withdrawing. Uh, It could look like compulsive socializing. It could look like cheating. It could look like hiding. It could look like grandstanding, posturing. It could look like acting out, disrespecting, rebelling. These are all coping mechanisms that children utilize, and there are many more. Talking back, That may be the need for respect is not being met. What does it look for for adults? Typically, it means ignoring or denying our needs. Why? Because if they weren't met, we convince ourselves they don't exist. It's easier. Oh, I don't need that. I don't need that. I've actually counseled people as adults who have told me with a straight face in my therapy office, I don't have needs. It's amazing. And you know when you're talking to someone who as an adult tells you they don't have needs, they didn't have many needs met in childhood. As an adult, we may develop a negative self-image. Instead of holding our parents accountable, and I'm going to say more about that in a moment because it's important. I'm not talking about blaming. I'm talking about accountability. It's different. We're negative now about ourselves. We've turned our difficult emotions, which is the pain of not having our needs met, we turn those emotions onto ourselves in the form of negative self-talk, a negative self-image, and maybe even self-loathing. And instead of saying, look, this need was not met, We develop shame and self-hatred for actually having the need. We think we're weak for having needs. 
we may have a turn to adult romantic relationships to supply the unmet needs we had in childhood. And here's a secret. You ready? Big secret from a therapist. Everyone does this. All right. I'm going to be a little Jersey blunt with you right here. If you have a pulse, if you are alive, if you are a human being on planet Earth, you have turned to your adult relationships, your romantic relationships to meet your needs that were not met in childhood. That is called being a human. And this is why we fall in love, because all of a sudden the child that is still in us finally feels complete. Now all my needs are met and I can fully be my full self and reach my potential. How did I ever live without you? So what do we need to do? We got to connect the dots before we get into relationship. And while we're in relationship, this is ongoing. This kind of discovery, this kind of conversation, like, wow, I really feel like I've been trying to meet that need through you. I wonder how that's felt for you. That's a conversation that needs to happen in our relationships. What's the best indicator that we're trying to meet our childhood needs in our adult relationships? You ready for it? Ask yourself when you get triggered. What triggers you? Bingo. There's the work. Connect the dots. Your partner is not your parent. Now this brings us to the work. The work is to sit down and connect the dots. Start connecting the unmet needs of your childhood with your adult behaviors. If the behaviors are healthy and meeting the need in adulthood... Like, maybe we didn't have our need for freedom met, and so we love the great outdoors, we live basically outside in a tent, we're meeting our need for the great outdoors, fine, that's healthy, good. Well done. But maybe we're putting the needs on other people. Maybe we didn't have our need for intimacy met in our family of origin, and so we expect too much from our relationships. Why? Because our heart is dying to be known and heard. And so we want our partners to read our minds and serve our hearts in the ways we may have missed in childhood. So are we getting it? This is where self-knowledge becomes key. We need to know our story. We need to face what we got, what we didn't get, so that we can live going forward without being in unconscious patterns of trying to get our needs met in unhealthy ways. One of the easiest ways to numb the pain of not having our needs met is addiction. Hello? Why do we think people drink? Why do we think people become high on drugs? Their needs weren't met. Now, a word about doing this kind of work. This is really important. This kind of work is never, ever about blaming parents. I do not ever encourage my clients to make emotional phone calls to parents after therapy sessions when we do this kind of work. It's not productive, and that's not the point. Why? Because this work is not about our parents. It's about us. The time for them to do the raising of us is over. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably an adult. Now, yes, parents can and should be held accountable for how they raise their children. Why? Because children do not ask to be born. We did not ask to be born. You did not ask to be born. I did not ask to be born. Children are completely powerless here. We arrive to the world dependent, vulnerable. So it is wholly upon parents to take on the responsibilities of bringing up children. And that responsibility should never be put on the child. However, our parents and their parents and their parents had their own childhoods with needs that went met and unmet. And the coping mechanisms they have in place will get passed down. So that's why we do the work. So that we are growing healthier and healthier and we're passing down gold instead of lead. This is the work for us. We identify which needs went met. 
which needs were unmet. And we connect the dots. What coping mechanisms did I employ as a child around this unmet need? This is deep work. And what am I now doing as an adult to cope with that unmet need? And is it healthy? You know, as I prepared this talk, I felt so grateful for what my parents did meet in my childhood. And it was also a good reminder of the work left undone. The work that's left for me to do now, which is being an adult who can meet my own needs. And that's our work, my friends. So when Maslow said, we'll be unhappy all the days of our lives if we're less than we could be, this was the same guy who came up with the hierarchy of needs. And he meant that the joy and the glory and the work of life is living life. It's being alive. It's being all that we can be. And then we do some growth work and we become more. It's about growing, reaching, learning, adjusting, and then starting all over again. This is being alive. And to be all we could be, we have to live with our needs being filled in ever-increasing ways. And to do this, remember those two bullet points from the beginning of our talk today. We have to own that we have needs, that our needs are normal. They're human. And we need to accept that some of them went met and some of them went unmet. And we need to know how we've been trying to meet our needs today. And we need to look at our actions, good and bad, and we need to recognize, my friends, that all of them, all of them, healthy, unhealthy, destructive, effective, constructive, whatever they were, all of them have been an attempt to meet our needs. We could go further. We could go so much further, but we have to stop. This one went long. I will be back next week. Thank you so much for listening. I am hearing more and more of you tell me that the podcast is resonating in your lives. And that makes me so happy. It's such an honor and it's a pleasure to do this every week. So thanks for your reviews on Apple Podcasts. Every five-star review you leave moves us up the ranks. So please leave a five-star review. If you want to leave a written review, that means so much to me. Um, A huge thank you, huge thank you to those of you who are sharing the podcast with the people you love, the people... You know, some of us listen to podcasts, we're like, so-and-so needs to hear this. So (laughs) I give you full permission to share it passive aggressively and directly. Um, And listen, if you want to request a topic or you want to share feedback or just say hello to me and let me know how the podcast is affecting your life, send me an email if you want. I'd be happy to read it. I'll respond. Uh, The email address is thepodcast at vanessalondino.com. Again, thepodcast at vanessalondino.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll be with you in another week. Remember, your sole work is to discover who you truly are and learn to love that human being. Hopefully this week you're going to love yourself better by connecting the dots and meeting those unmet needs in healthy ways. And for all the ways that you're meeting your needs in a healthy way, I applaud you. Thanks again, everyone. This podcast is recorded in Nashville, Tennessee, edited by Jared Bentley. I'm Vanessa Landino, and you just listened to the Vanessa Landino podcast.